We welcome you back to a very special edition of Senior Moments with Bob Johnson. Today we offer our 10th installment and thus have reached a minor milestone. However, far more worthy of celebration is the arrival of a monumental birthday for his loving wife of nearly seven decades, Suzanne Johnson. It has been postulated that behind every successful man is an exhausted woman. If that is true, Sue should certainly be bedridden, and I assure you she is not. Today's special episode was produced and recorded without her knowledge and usual editorial and research assistance. We felt it quite appropriate for Bob to speak today about their meeting, their romance, their courtship, as well as the highs and lows of 70 years together. Our hope is to impart a bit of humor, insight, and perhaps advice to our listeners from one whose love and marriage has withstood the vicissitudes of life and the tests of time. It is again my distinct pleasure to present your mentor and host, Bob Johnson, with a very special episode entitled, The Scrawny Runt Wins the Prize, which is dedicated and in honor of his wife, their life, his bride, and his pride, Suzanne Johnson. Well, Bob, first and foremost, we want to wish your bride, Suzanne, the happiest of birthdays, uh, as she is the co-protagonist of our story today. We all here uh, at Senior Moments with Bob Johnson wish her all of the good health, joy, and happiness in many years to come. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Ivey. I certainly uh, am excited about having a chance to be a bit more personal than uh, some of our other uh, podcasts have been because uh, this is really recognizing a a remarkable life of a woman who has been the fulfillment of mine. Before we get to the actual story, I wanted to share that I, for one, feel a little dirty for the clandestine and, and secretive nature of this production which is being released in time uh, for her 90th birthday celebration, which was uh, arranged by her extended family. How about you? Any remorse or guilt? Oh, none whatsoever. I'm uh, pretty sure that uh, this will come as a great surprise to her, and I'm sure she'll be enjoying it as well. And I hope other people listening to this podcast will uh, be as impressed as I have been during my 70 years of uh, knowing this woman, uh, just what a great person she is. Before we begin fully, it should be stated that any relationship uh, involves two voices, one of which is conspicuously absent today. In the recent past, Sue has humbly declined to be a recorded participant in the podcast, likely a wise decision given the questionable uh, characters involved. An editorial decision was made to honor that sentiment. However, I strongly suspect that after 70 years together, you, Bob, are highly capable of offering an accurate and valid expression of her opinions and perceptions. If not, well, best of luck in dousing that Chernobyl-like fire. <laughs> That's a pretty good description. Uh, actually, uh, no, she's been very calm and uh, accommodating most of the time, and any time that Chernobyl uh, arose, why well, uh, I, I deserved whatever I got. Just uh, one thought occurs to me at the beginning, something I learned recently, I think it was by Ogden Nash, he said, uh, to keep your marriage happy, uh, if you are wrong, admit it, and if you're right, keep quiet. Well, in order to perhaps save some time, I thought I would give a brief synopsis uh, of your history together. Uh, Certainly, you met in Boston and had immediate and full love for one another from that moment on. You dated and became engaged uh, to the delight of all the family members and friends, had an uneventful marriage, had an uneventful wedding, and then uh, pursued your lives, uh, having excellent careers, both of you, four wonderful daughters, four marvelous grandchildren, and uh, one uh, stupendous uh, great-grandchild. Then uh, you reached retirement 
and traveled the world together and now uh, live in absolute retirement bliss. That being the story, there doesn't seem to be much more to be said. So we thank you for listening. Oh, well, hey, uh, by the way, there, there are a few things I might mention. Uh, Su- Suzanne Stone Johnson's uh, maiden name was Stone, and if you marry somebody named Stone, there are going to be some rocks in the road. And like any marriage, uh, we uh, managed to uh, get through those without uh, much of a problem, and our deep love for each other, I'm sure, was the reason why we made it through so well and so smoothly with such a happy uh, and fulfilling life. Well, let us begin this love story. But to begin, I would like to go to that time period before you met Sue. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you were, where she was coming uh, before Boston, and anything you can remember about your romantic interests and life before Sue? Uh, Sue uh, was uh, uh, grew up in a family that uh, had one sister, uh, two parents. Uh, they lived in Hawaii for a time, and then her father was transferred to uh, Los Angeles. They also uh, then moved to New York. Sue, having been born in New York before they moved to Hawaii, she had a, uh, a rather interesting life uh, up then. She did go to f- several different high schools uh, or several different schools along the way, which made it a little more difficult. I, contrasting with that, grew up in a, a little town in upstate New York, went to the same school all the way through, was able to walk to most of the schools that I attended, and uh, had uh, what I would consider to be a pretty uneventful life. I did have one girlfriend when I went away to college uh, in 1946. My uh, time in college, I dated quite a few girls, some from Radcliffe, some from Wellesley, some from Simmons, and uh, as much as I enjoyed the dating, usually involving football games or basketball games or something like that, I never really... uh, developed the chemistry with any of them that uh, I felt meant uh, we were going to be together for longer than a few dates. Sue, on the other hand, uh, attended uh, the Boston School of Occupational Therapy, which was affiliated with Tufts University. She did do quite a bit of dating. Uh, She had comments about the MIT boys she dated, which I will not repeat because I don't want to get sued by the MIT. But uh, we, we both had had an interesting and varied background when we finally met. Well, at that point, I guess the sparks began because you did meet. And tell us a little bit about that meeting. Well, in my senior year of college, I was kind of uh, drifting along. I had no idea what was going to happen after I graduated uh, uh, in the spring or summer of uh, uh, 1950. And uh, my roommate, who was going with a girl living at a place called Student's House, which was something of a dormitory for women attending schools that didn't happen to have local dormitories, and he asked me if uh, I would like a blind date with one of her friends. I said, oh, sure, that's uh, fine. Uh, I've had a lot of blind dates, and most of them were not all that exciting, but why not? He did tell me that the night before our date, which was to be on a Saturday with a football game and all that followed that, so uh, he happened to mention that there was going to be a dance at that school uh, or at that dormitory. And so uh, I got this idea, hey, this would be kind of fun, to go to the dance, which was just a get-acquainted dance, anybody could show up who wanted to. And I was going to try to seek out this Sue Stone, whose name I had, and I was going to ask her to dance with me. And after a dance or two, I was going to ask her for a date the next night. She, of course, not knowing that I was the one she already had a date with the next night. So I figured I couldn't lose. Either she'd say, oh, yes, I'd rather go out with you than this uh, blind date I've got tomorrow night. Or she would do the right thing and say, I have a date tomorrow night. I'm sorry, I can't go out with you. But I never was able to find her. I was so disappointed. But who knows? She might have been so upset with my bit of subterfuge, she never would have uh, gone out with me again. So uh, it probably worked out the way it should. The next day we arrived on the scene. Uh, She appeared, uh, I happened to be standing between two of my three roommates. Uh, One of them was about 6'4", and the other about 6'5", and I stood there in my 5'10", with about 135 pounds holding me up. I stood there in between them. She showed up, and I saw immediately a very pretty girl, uh, one with a great figure, uh, one with a sparkling personality, and I just uh, said, oh boy, this is going to be a very nice date. A few years 
later, she finally worked up the courage to tell about her first reaction to me, and her first reaction was, gee, I hope that scrawny runt in the middle is not my date. But uh, it turned out that I was, and things went on uh, from there. As we were on our way to the football game, uh, she tripped on what I considered to be a pretty smooth sidewalk and fell right flat, not on her face, it didn't do any damage, but she just tripped and fell down, and the thought occurred to me at the time, this girl really needs somebody to look after her. Little did I know that 70 years later, she'd be looking after me. We went to the football game. Uh, she seemed interested in the game, which is, as many of my dates had not been. And Harvard lost the game, and I won the girl. And I consider that to be the greatest uh, uh, happy time of uh, my life up to that point. We went on to the uh, uh, little dance in our room. Uh, we had uh, a, a fairly big uh, living room uh, in our dormitory, uh, the, the four of us men. And we danced, and she said something about she had never kissed a date on the first date before, and she leaned up and kissed me. Wow. Well, I guess we know where the title of our uh, talk came from, uh, Scrawny Runt. I did uh, wonder, I've been a high school and college male, and I know that we often go back and describe our dates, our girlfriends. Do you recall how you described her to those back in the dorm room? Yes, I, uh, I, I was pretty enthusiastic uh, when I got home that night after being out with this uh, Sue Stone girl. And my roommate said, uh, gee, if she is uh, that sparkly that you keep talking about, he was the one with the, uh, the automobile, the only one in the room. And he said, well, I'm taking my date for a ride in the countryside tomorrow. Would, uh, would you, like, you two like to go along? So I quick called her. This was just the day after our first meeting. And she said, yes, she'd like to go along. As we continue the story, let's move on to some more incidences. Uh, I obviously conclude there was a second date. Yes, the second date uh, involved uh, walking. Well, no, the second date was that day we, we drove around with my roommate, and uh, that was kind of informal on a Sunday afternoon. I do remember that we passed one car with a bunch of little kids hanging out the windows, and I, uh, with, with no good reason except I was trying to be funny, said to uh, Sue, uh, well, there we go someday. And she said, aren't you being a bit premature? And I said, I'm glad you said premature and not ridiculous. Then we did have a second date where we uh, crossed a, a footbridge across the Charles River near where I went to school. And about three quarters of the way across, I had another moment of inspiration. So, so I said, uh, oh, by the way, have you ever walked across this particular bridge with a guy before? And she said, well, no. And I said, oh, there's a long tradition, goes way back to 1636, that if you walk across this bridge with a guy you've never been across before, you have to kiss him. And she went along with it, and it was a moment of inspiration I've often been happy about because, of course, I made up the tradition on the spot. Well, that ploy seemed to have worked well. And tell us some more. Well, uh, at this point, it might be relevant for me to mention uh, something I was doing at the time uh, I first met Sue. I had decided I wanted to go for special honors in graduating. It uh, seemed like the thing to do. I didn't have anything exciting happening in my life at the time. So I took this examination of all the history I'd ever studied in, school, in college and, and passed it. And then the next thing I had to do was to complete a paper, uh, a long paper, almost like a doctoral dissertation on a subject. I had picked Otto von Bismarck uh, back in Germany in the 1870s and some of the things that happened that I thought would be really relevant in this paper. So that was what I had in mind. But then when I met Sue Stone, I said to myself, okay, somebody, something's got to give, because if I'm going to give this girl the attention I think it, I need to give her if I'm going to hang on to her, I, I can't do both. I can't be spending 99% of my time in the library trying to read the original German about Otto von Bismarck. And so I put Otto von Bismarck and Sue Stone side by side, and he just went out of the picture real quick. 
And how many times have I regretted that decision? Not once. Uh, it was the right way to go. We had to uh, deal with a uh, holiday separation. Uh, she went back to Larchmont, New York, where her parents lived, and I went back to my little town in New York State. And uh, we both uh, suffered. I think we probably had a fairly vivid, uh, uh, lively correspondence between us because neither one of us enjoyed being apart. Once we got back together, our relationship deepened. We spent a lot of time walking along the sidewalk on the way to the what we call the dirty drugstore. I don't remember why it was called that. And because our resources, financial resources, were limited, we very often would spend the entire evening with a cup of coffee, uh, which cost 10 cents each. And uh, when we'd get back to the dorm, we'd kind of spend a little time saying goodnight. There used to be a song about uh, a kiss goodnight sometimes leads to a dozen or more. Uh, there was one night when I think we might have started our second dozen, and the little lady inside looked out, and I guess her job was to protect the virtue of the uh, female residents or inmates, whichever they were. And so she went, she went in that night, she was put on what you could call house arrest. She was only allowed for a week or two period to go out to school and come back, and she wasn't allowed to go out on dates. But in this, what they called campus punishment, she was allowed to entertain visitors in a room where hardly anybody ever came. So uh, I, I didn't consider that was all that much of a problem, but uh, I, I did take her, I think, on the first time I went to visit her in that room during this punishment phase. I brought her a big, big cupcake, and inside it I had secreted a small file so that if there were any bars on the windows, and I don't recall that there were, she'd be able to make her escape if necessary. During that time, do you recall, did you have any real competition for her affections? No, I really didn't have any that I was aware of, but uh, I made it very clear that she didn't have any competition for my affections at that point. We often say, after that first date on October 22, 1949, neither of us looked back. We just uh, looked forward and uh, enjoyed our life together. Earlier you mentioned the kissing bridge. I understand there's a subsequent event on that same bridge. You want to tell us about that? <laughs> yes, one of the one of the great uh, excitements of my later years was having told my uh, grandson Matthew uh, about uh, uh, our uh, kissing experiment on the bridge, or my experiment. He and his fiance at the time went to the trouble of walk, finding the bridge, walking out to that exact spot, kissing and taking a picture of the kiss. And I'll tell you that when I got that photo, which is posted prominently in our home, I just was so excited. I thought that was a wonderful gesture. And I guess he must have enjoyed the kiss. I think he benefited from your uh, romantic side. And as regards that, do you consider yourself a romantic personality? Or is this something that you felt was hard work and you had to do that to win her affection? I honestly felt I was having a good time. I don't consider myself to be a romantic, but uh, this girl brought out, if, if it's romance, that's what she brought out in me, and I uh, uh, tried to do my very best because I did not want her to elude my grasp. Well, clearly she could not resist romantic Bob, and ultimately you proposed. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that is interesting because our proposal was kind of a, a, a long, extended sort of a thing. She started asking me a question every once in a while. What are you going to do about me? And I, I wasn't quite sure what she was driving at. I'm a little slow in some respects, and that's one of them. And I kept thinking, I wonder what she's driving at. And I guess I'd give some lame answer like, well, gee, I'll have to think about that. Finally, it occurred to me that maybe she was thinking we should spend uh, uh, more than just a, a few dates together. We better uh, think about uh, how important we are were to each other. And so I started thinking, gosh, I really ought to be uh, thinking about uh, this, this woman in a, in a long-term basis. And it occurred to me that I'd better get started on thinking about what I was going to do after I graduated in another five or six months because uh, it becomes necessary to earn a living. So I started thinking, uh, started doing some research about job opportunities, and uh, that kind of tied in with some of our uh, romantic interests, too. Well, during that time period, apparently we have found in your home archives uh, several documents of relevance. 
We pilfered those uh, behind her back, and I wanted to uh, present a couple of those and maybe have you comment. The first is a letter that is not dated, but says, My dear Miss Stone, in reply to your kind note of the 15th, I wish to state that you have always been my favorite student, both in beauty and intelligence. Your test today will be rather difficult, even though there will only be one question. That will be, will you marry me? In order to get 100% on this exam, you must answer in the affirmative. Otherwise, I shall be forced to fail you. I shall be looking forward with eager anticipation to correcting your paper. Yours sincerely, Professor Robert A. Johnson. P.S. If you pass the exam, you may call me Robert. Yeah, I was writing letters to various companies with whom I uh, hope to make arrangements to work for them. And it occurred to me that I'd rather write a letter to this wonderful girl I was going with. And uh, I guess that letter was the product. And I guess in some respects, it could be my first written proposal of marriage. Another document we obtained is in the format of a resume. My dear Miss Stone, I should like to apply for the position of your husband. I'm very anxious to secure this position, for I'm very much in love with you. Furthermore, I can think of nothing more pleasant than spending the rest of my life with you. Of course, I realize that my qualifications are not as good as they should be, for I am applying for the most desirable position in the world. But I hope you will consider me anyway. It would make me most happy if you would do so. I expect to be in Boston in the near future. Could I possibly have an interview concerning this matter on or about the afternoon of March 15th? It would be most kind of you. The rest of the note is actually a resume where the position desired is husband of Miss Suzanne Odmanson Stone. Qualifications, your education. Harvard University, A.B. in History, June 1950, Winthrop House Sunday Afternoon Study Group. The extracurricular activities include several football games, including post-game parties and dances. Most rewarding of these was Dartmouth game, and most important was Yale game, for obvious reasons. Several evenings in Winthrop House common room watching television, as well as much time spent in Bow Room at Student House. Member of the Society for the Investigation of Monuments on the Fenway and Treasurer of the Dirty Drug Patrons of America. Author of two books, Where Does the Lipstick Go? and How to Spend an Entire Evening on a Cup of Coffee. I'm going to stop there because those things need some explanation. <laughs> What's the Society for the Investigation of Monuments on the Fenway? Well, like any couple in love, we found that uh, standing outside the student's house saying goodnight could cost us a uh, house arrest in her part. So we, uh, we found that uh, just a short distance away along the side of the Charles River, there was a uh, kind of a semi-wooded area where we could have privacy for our intimate discussions about the future and about how much we, uh, we liked each other. So I guess that, uh, I'm not sure there were any monuments, but uh, I guess we made up our own. What about treasurer of the dirty drug patrons of, of America? Well, that's where we, uh, lacking uh, money except for subway fare to get together. A long time after the event, I want to thank the uh, owners of the dirty drug for tolerating our presence and making only 10 cents on a cup of coffee so very often. On, on a very special events, when we had a lot of money, we would stop in at a nearby hotel and have one small cup of wine. Those were big evenings, but uh, most of the time, it was just that 10 cent cup of coffee. And then there are the two alleged books, Where Does the Lipstick Go? and how to spend an entire evening on a cup of coffee. Haven't really gotten around to writing those. I wrote a couple of others in recent years, but on a little more serious note, but I have to say that I really conjured up those uh, those two books in my mind. I uh, put it on to the uh, romanticism of a man in love. The last entry on your resume is under the heading of work experience. Being in love 
with Miss Suzanne Odmanson Stone cannot be considered work. It is a pleasure which I expect to enjoy for the rest of my life. Began experience October the 22nd, 1949, as apprentice. After initial period of much difficulty, some five to six weeks, things smoothed out considerably. Since that time, my love for the aforementioned Miss Stone has shown considerable advance. I guess I was prescient when I wrote that one because uh, I have continued to enjoy the pleasure of her presence for the rest of my life. And it's possible that when she first hears that, she and I will be sitting alongside holding hands as we do an awful lot during these days after 68 plus years of marriage. And even in the middle of the night, we hold hands sometimes. The final document uh, is again not dated, but states, My darling, just a little note to tell you that I love you very much. In exactly 51 and one half years from now, I'll write you another little note saying exactly the same thing. All my love always, Bob. Did that happen? Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, I uh, tend to be a record keeper, and I uh, was going through the records one day and uh, made a mental note of the uh, the date of when it was supposed to be, and I wrote another note. I suspect that note is not still in the archives, but uh, yes, I did, as a matter of fact, on the specific date involved. Well, ultimately, this resulted in an actual wedding. Can you tell us a little bit about that event? Well, yes, we had to postpone that for a while because Sue still had about a year and a half of, a uh, year and a half to two years of college left, and uh, we didn't want to push it. So I took my job over in Springfield, Massachusetts, with a terrific life insurance company, which uh, I spent a very happy 38 years with before retiring. And uh, we decided, since there were 90 miles between Springfield and Boston, where she was, that uh, we would uh, get together on alternate weekends. We wanted to save the money involved in getting together every weekend. I fortunately, thanks to the generosity of my mother, did have an automobile at that point. We managed to get through one weekend apart during this period of time, and that was the end of our resolve to do it on alternate weekends. From then on, every weekend, the minute I finished my job with the Massachusetts Mutual, I was on the road for Boston or Providence, wherever she happened to be having uh, her uh, affiliation year at the time. Our parents were uh, kind of on different ideas as far as our marriage was concerned. My parents thought it was probably a nice idea. They really loved this girl a, a great deal. And uh, her parents uh, were not convinced that this guy Johnson had any future and thought that perhaps their daughter should be holding off for a time. In the meantime, I got drafted into the Army and spent about a year doing that before uh, Sue finished up her schooling and we were able to come to the marriage date. It was interesting that uh, our marriage took place in church with a minister, but without a lot of the formality that's usually involved because of the short amount of time I had from uh, the Army coming back uh, from Texas to get married. And fortunately, my parents and my aunt were able to be there, as well as my best man, who is one of my roommates. The night before our wedding, all the parents and Aunt Carmen went out to dinner and left us, the two of us, Sue and I, in their apartment alone. And she cooked dinner and cut her hand trying to open some things, and it was kind of an interesting situation. The next day produced a tremendous ice storm so that none of our friends from various cities in New England were able to come be part of the wedding ceremony. We managed to get out of New York State uh, over this ice storm uh, before our wedding night. The next morning, kind of an interesting incident, uh, we uh, were on the road toward our uh, wonderful honeymoon in Williamsburg, Virginia. That is such a beautiful place, especially at Christmas time as this was. But the next morning, we uh, had to find some breakfast someplace, so we stopped at a what appeared to be a likely uh, restaurant along the way, and lo and behold, we encountered somebody she knew, a girl that she had had some previous contact with and who asked uh, how things were going. 
My wife was a little reluctant to admit that she was just the morning after her uh, honeymoon night, or and uh, first night, and uh, so she uh, went to introduce the two of us to one another, this girl that we met and me. Unfortunately, my wife was so flustered, she couldn't remember my name, and I'm sure that girl we ran into is still wondering what that was all about. Well, it sounds like it was a very effective but somewhat simple ceremony as far as a wedding goes and the preparations uh, around it. That's in contrast to today, where even the bachelor and bachelorette parties are at a distant destination. The expense of these extravagant weddings, is that necessary? How do you feel about that? Very interesting question. I think it's uh, nice that if people have the wherewithal to do these things, uh, it's fine to celebrate uh, the upcoming nuptials. Uh, In our case, uh, my involvement with the U.S. Army and her involvement with school just made it rather difficult, especially with the ice storm going on, to do all the things that maybe people do today. Personally, I think a quiet wedding makes sense, but I think I'm in a very small minority in that respect. Well, now you're married, and we enter the early phases of your life together as a wedded couple. Why don't you tell us a little about that? About six months after our wedding, Sue came down to Texas to join me, having uh, graduated from college and actually took her uh, various registration examinations down in Texas. Uh, We continued for another nine months or so uh, in a very nice little home which had just been built specifically for uh, soldiers who were allowed to to, uh, stay off post as I was, uh, having uh, just made sergeant. It's kind of like a nine-to-five job. She got a job with a uh, local medical practice uh, as a receptionist, and uh, her occupational therapy background didn't hurt a bit in getting that job. After we finished, we came back to uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. I picked, uh, made the decision to come back to my job. Sue and I talked about family along about now and decided, okay, we're going to have two children. Uh, back in those days, you didn't pick their sex, so we decided we'd take two children of any kind we could get. And my wife added something, allowance for error on the third Well, we had four children, four delightful, pretty young girls, and we were so pleased with them, but they did amount to a lot of work for poor Sue along the way. And uh, I was so wrapped up in my job that I was almost totally unaware of how hard she was working in our two or three different homes that we lived in, uh, raising those children, uh, did a wonderful job of it, and I sometimes let my job get in the way of a good marriage, and uh, we had our rocky times for a while. In fact, uh, one year of separation after about 15 years of marriage, but that turned out to be the worst year in my whole life, and she was good enough to take me back, and uh, we've gone on from there, very happily, I might add. Well, as difficult as it might be to talk about that separation period, I I think it's important, particularly to our audience who may glean some useful information from that time and that experience. Were there any particular reasons? You mentioned your career. uh, Were there any financial reasons, stress of the children, any illnesses, anything that we typically think could lead to a separation and even divorce? Tough question. In my case, it was pretty much the job. I just got so wrapped up in what I was doing. I was fortunate enough to have some good advancement. I took a lot of exams that enhanced my position in the company. Went on and got a master's degree at night, which I felt would help, but which took me away from my family. And during this period of time, I think I became pretty much unaware of how much difficulty is involved in raising for young people to be proper and uh, religiously oriented properly and uh, how they might deal with young men. I just wasn't conscious enough of what was going on. I tended to ignore parts of my family's life. I tried to be a good father, and uh, I think my daughters think I was, but there were times when uh, too too many other things got in the way, and I came to take my marriage for granted, which is the worst thing anybody can possibly do in a marriage situation. And I certainly, uh, not to preach, but I would certainly recommend to any person who is thinking of leaving a marriage because of the difficulties involved at the time, give it some very serious thought and think about what it does to the kids, what it does to the other partner, 
and how different life will be without all of the, those wonderful people in their lives. Think twice about it. Well, it certainly sounds like you had a, a role in this, to be sure, but, but I'm sure your wife uh, also contributed maybe in her reaction to your absence, uh, even uh, uh, nagging or whatever term might be appropriate. Is that fair to say? Well, I try to avoid, I try to avoid the word nag because it doesn't go over too well at home, but, but she certainly was displeased with the amount of time I was spending going back to work at night on my job. And she expressed that displeasure sometimes in, in ways that were not couched in uh, happy terms. Fortunately, uh, I had enough uh, sense to uh, recognize that some of those comments were, uh, were not really intended, but unfortunately, I still went and spent a year away. During that year, obviously, you were uncomfortable or unhappy enough to return, and thank goodness that was the case. However, was there any relief of the strife that you had been experiencing at home during that separation, or was it really a negative experience in all manner? No, I think we came to appreciate each other a whole lot more during that year apart. And if I can say anything good about that year, it would be that we came to appreciate each other and how much we really did mean to each other, even after all those years uh, of uh, hard work uh, to make things uh, come together and hard uh, financial problems which come in the early years to most families. So I, uh, I feel that on, the, on balance, it probably helped our long-term relationship because we both realized what it was like uh, living without each other. I'm sure that entailed personal changes uh, on, on the behalf of both of you. Was that difficult, or was the emotion and the negativity during the separation enough to make that less painful? Sue has a term for that period of our life after the few years after we got back together after the separation. She said we walked on eggs, and by golly, we did. We were both so conscious of the things that had taken us apart and so anxious not to have them happen again. And, uh, we, yeah, we walked on eggs. We thought very carefully before anything we said uh, or anything we did. Uh, in an effort to make sure that whatever it was that took us apart would never take us apart again. And it worked. You became enlightened. Finally, regarding that difficult period, in all honesty, did you ever truly consider divorce? Tough question, and the answer is yes. As a matter of fact, I felt that if we were going to live apart, there was not much point in staying married. And actually uh, talked with a lawyer about divorce. That lawyer uh, talked with her lawyer, which she contacted after she heard what I was doing, and it looked kind of nasty at the time. At one point, we met in our joint lawyer's offices for a discussion uh, during our separation, and at the end of uh, that discussion, uh, I invited her to go to lunch with me. The lawyers both kind of nodded their approval of that kind of action. And as we sat at lunch, I looked across the table and said, Johnson, you stupid man, what are you doing? You are in love with this girl just as much as you were once, and here you're taking legal action to separate from her. The dumbest thing you ever did. And uh, just looking at her and her weepy eyes <laughs> did it to me. <laughs> and I think, I think it would do, to, do it to any man. And it wasn't very long after that day that I canceled my attorney, she canceled her attorney, and we, I returned to home, and we started our walking on eggs period, which lasted two or three years. Well, the two of you certainly moved through that difficult time, and ultimately retirement and travel, and I suppose are, are now sitting in the twilight of your relationship. I'd like to hear what that's like and how is it different in terms of the relationship before and the emotional attachment. Well, as you know, we, uh, I retired in 1988. We traveled extensively, both by motorhome and around the country and by tourism uh, throughout the world until I visited just about every place I could possibly have an interest in and, and the same with her. Uh, as far as what's uh, today, we are uh, having fulfilled all of our ambitions to own a big sailboat and to travel and to uh, enjoy living on a lake as we have done, a big body of water. 
Uh, we're living in a retirement community where we've been for six years. And what's different? Well, uh, I think the thing that I notice is that the people here talk about the fact that they are joined by the hip to their spouse. And I certainly find that to be figuratively true with Sue. I do not enjoy being alone anymore. When she is on doing something that uh, doesn't involve me, I sometimes try to find excuses to uh, go be where she is. It just becomes part of your life. You become uh, a matched set to the extent that anything other than being together is bad news. And we both talk about the possibility of one of us dying before the other, which is likely to happen, being a, a pretty bad experience. But uh, being able to look back on a delightful life of happiness together, marred by just a few times when we weren't so happy, I am able to say that this has been just a wonderful life for me. And I attribute it to Sue Amundsen Stone. And simply looking at the amount of time of our stories today that were involving the meeting, the early romance, the early marriage, it's much, much greater than the stories thereafter. And in some way, it seems like that sort of represents the evolution of a relationship, that early on it's new, it's exciting, you're learning about each other, and that makes for perhaps more stories to tell. Over time, you know each other better, you work at it, things smooth out, and there are fewer stories to tell. Is that a fair assessment? I think you've summed it up very well. The, uh, as most uh, married couples find, the uh, real excitement of falling in love uh, is very different from the wonderful experience of growing old together. She often mentions to me that she would cry during our year of separation because she wanted to grow old with me. And I don't think that thought ever crossed my mind until uh, after our separation and I realized I think this woman is somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with, and it's not because we are just going crazy uh, being apart. It's just that we, we just see things the same way. Well, I won't say we never have disagreements, but they're pretty minor compared with a wonderful experience of living our lives together. Given what you just said, where do you stand on the thought that there is one person, one soul for one other? When we're celebrating Sue's birthday, this is a tricky question. <laughs> I, I happen to think that uh, people can be happy uh, meeting other people, and then the one they wind up with. Uh, life has all of its little twistings and turnings that uh, put two people together. But I'm just grateful that I wound up with what I consider to be the nicest person in the world, even though I believe that if Sue had met some other guy, she would have been just as happy or happier. But we'll never know. Given what you have, do you think you're blessed, just lucky, or is it really the product of a tremendous amount of work and effort on behalf of both of you? I think your last point is a very good one. Work and effort is going to be true in any marriage because no two people think the same way. Sue lives in the present. Yesterday or tomorrow are almost irrelevant, and I may have overstated that. To me, today I kind of work my way through, but what really counts is what happened back in Greece or Rome thousands of years ago, uh, or what happened uh, in our country 200 years ago, or what's going to happen in the war to the world in the future. Uh, and when the universe uh, reaches the point where the sun grows to, uh, in five billion years to engulf the earth, she doesn't worry about things like that. But the two of us manage to fill the gaps in each other, and we wind up uh, as a wonderful team. And I, I think that the people who say, well, if you're going to be happy in your marriage, you have to think the same way, are making a mistake because the complement of filling the gaps in each one's life uh, makes a lot of sense. Do you think that attaining a level of love and relationship such as yours is enhanced by marriage? In other words, can it be obtained without an actual marriage? Well, it's a good question, which I probably can't answer because I don't have the experience. I don't happen to have any really close friends. Sue is my main friend and pretty much wrapped our whole life up together. So I really can't comment on uh, on what, it's be, I know, uh, what it is. I, I know many people have been very happy living lives separate from the rest of 
people uh, or living lives that do not involve marriage, but I just don't have the experience, or do I know anyone who has had that experience, which would enable me to answer your question. In looking at today's culture, I think without question, starting with your generation and with the following and now the one beyond that, there seems to be an escalation of divorce and people seem to be quicker to move in that direction. Do you have any strong feelings about that? Well, I just guess I have to say that I don't think people necessarily work as hard as they might to make it work in the first place, because as one of my friends tells about a friend of his who talked with his chauffeur about it and said he was thinking of leaving his wife and going to another woman whom they both knew. And the chauffeur said, Ah, Mr. Jones, that's not his name, you're going to find in about a year that that other woman is going to look just like your wife. It's not the same uh, as the romantic period, and you might as well get used to it. And I guess that would be my advice. It seems to me that most strife in any relationship can be boiled down to an issue of control. We all want to control our circumstances, our life, the events around us, and the people around us. Looking back at your difficulties and your overcoming of them, do you think there's any truth to the fact that perhaps it's a battle over control? That's very perceptive. I uh, I would have answered that by saying I don't think that's a problem, but uh, uh, I've noticed recently that since I can no longer read because of my macular de- degeneration, my wife is uh, reading everything that comes into the house. And uh, all of a sudden, I find her controlling things that I've controlled during our entire marriage. Certainly, our financial arrangements and uh, bills that come in that uh, might be questionable, uh, and uh, things that talk about insurance or medical problems, which I, I look to her to tell me everything that happens. And I have, and she runs the uh, computer, and she knows what's coming in and what's going out. And it sometimes makes me uncomfortable. And I must admit that I think there may be a a germ of correctness in your question because in the past, I let her control the household matters, uh, the buying of groceries and the raising of the kids for the most part. And I control the financial matters and bringing the money in and making sure that our position in the community was favorable. And we each had our own areas of control. But now that she has to, uh, and has no choice in the matter, has to take over some some of the controlling things in our life uh, makes me a little uneasy. Not not big thing, but uh, a little bit. And it kind of puts, sheds a light on your question. Well, we certainly appreciate your candid answers and willingness to open up about uh, your relationship, your love, and your marriage. Do you have any final advice for our listeners Well, yes, I guess uh, one uh, brief comment. My wife has always had the opinion from the very beginning of our marriage. She said, each partner should be prepared to give 60% rather than looking for 50%. Because if you each do that, you're going to have probably an opportunity to solve your problems quite amicably. But you have to recognize that you're giving more than you're getting. At least try to do that because that's what is the key to a happy marriage and with two people in love. Well, thank you. And again, we appreciate you being open and honest uh, in this discussion and hope that there's some nuggets of useful information for all of us that are involved in relationships. Finally, did you have any parting words for that wife of 68 years, Suzanne? Well, yes, I I can go back to our first date for one thing where she fell on the sidewalk. I told one of my friends about it later, and he said, wow, she really fell for you, didn't she? Well, matter of fact is, I fell for her too, and it's it's led to a happy time. I just want to thank my wife, as we uh, have had uh, 70 years of knowing each other, uh, how grateful I am that we met, how very pleased I am with the wife she turned out to be, how fulfilled my life has been, and I want to wish her a very, very happy 90th birthday. I love you, Sue.
With that ending sentiment, we conclude episode 10 and hope that we have offered some humor, some points to ponder, and most of all, hope and encouragement that love can be sustained for a lifetime. Today's music selection is entitled You Made Me Love You by Harry James and his orchestra and is available on iTunes. It just so happens that this particular song was chosen by Bob as, quote, our song. On behalf of Bob Johnson, this is technician Mr. Ivy again thanking you for listening and inviting you back for our next installment of Senior Moments with Bob Johnson.